WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week our guest is the writer of the upcoming Ahoy comic series, Snelson, Comedy is Dying, Paul Constant. Thanks for coming on the oh, show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I will ask you the first time, uh, the first question for first time guests. Uh, what are some of the first comics that you remember reading? Uh, well, let me see. I started, I sort of taught myself how to read on uh, Peanuts comics and Superman comics, uh, mm -hmm. which uh, are on the shelves behind me here, uh, which is very useful for a podcast. But uh, yeah, they, I, I had a whole bunch of uh, Peanuts treasuries and I really identified with Linus. Um, and then I also had a big old Bonanza book collection of Superman that I think my older brother had when he was younger that had like Superman from the forties, fifties and fifties uh, and sixties. And, um, uh, and combined with some like, you know, phonics workbooks, uh, I sort of taught myself how to read on those. So I'm totally like a Mort Weisinger Superman baby, you know, all the, all the good old stuff, uh, Bizarro and, and um, you know, that whole era of Superman being kind of a dick to Jimmy and, and all that <laughs> stuff. It's, it's totally my, my bag. <laughs> it's the only way to teach him each issue's valuable lesson. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He needed to learn a lesson at least three times a month in three stories. And, uh, and Superman was just the jerk to give it to him. <laughs> the, the era of super ventriloquism and yeah. tiny Superman appearing out of Superman's hands. Oh yeah, the tiny Supermans, there's that one panel that Superman is the devil and the tiny Supermans are flying out of his horns and it's like, and somebody's like, look, tiny Supermen are flying out of Superman's horns as though, you know, like that was something you need to say. But uh, yeah, oh man, all of it. I just, I just, I still, I still am a huge, a huge fan of that kind of, that kind of irresponsible, you know, comic zaniness. You know, and, and just the, the things that you're describing too, because back in that era that you could just make up whatever, you know, powers you wanted for Superman and projecting tiny Superman. I mean, you don't think of Superman as sort of the go-to comic when you want to trip balls, but here, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, I find it very hard to believe that like, you know, Mort Weisinger wasn't doing something, uh, doing something illicit on the side. If it was like, even like moonshine or something, he had to be like, he had to have a drug of choice other than like belittling everyone he worked for him supposedly but you know <laughs> yeah you know i don't mean to malign the dead but i hear i hear stories about Mort weisinger and, and very few of them are good especially if you ask jim shooter yeah exactly <laughs> very few stories about jim shooter <laughs> Well, you know, you get learn you. It's from you, all right? I learned it by watching you. <laughs> That's the thing about comics, right? You just hang around long enough until you're a villain in everyone else's stories, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now that we've talked about perpetuating cycles of abuse in the comics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so yeah, you're here to talk about uh, Snelson, uh, which uh, launches August 4th from Ahoy uh, with artist Fred Harper. Uh, I will uh, recite the solicit text for our listeners. Uh, in the 1990s, edgy stand-up comic Melville Snelson had it all. But 25 years later, his jokes come off as tired and offensive. Desperate for a comeback, Snelson heads out, heads out on tour with a group of young, socially conscious comedians. Can the 90s his, has been hit it big time, or is Snelson about to be canceled for good? So, uh, yeah, what is the origin of this project? Well, um... Uh, I've been writing for Ahoy for a little while. My first book, uh, Planet of the Nerds, came out from them like three years ago. Um, and um, while I was doing Planet of the Nerds, uh, Tom Pyre, the editor-in-chief of Ahoy, uh, 
asked me, um, he had a book called Hashtag Danger. That's very good. It's in paperback from Ahoy. You should, uh, you should get it. And I'm, I'm, I'm not in it. Uh, so that is a, a non-self-interested plug. Um, that was uh, kind of a, a zany take on, I'm using the word zany way too much. I've used it twice, which I think is like twice my life allotment. So anyway, <laughs> Hashtag Danger is a fun um, uh, sort of Kirby-esque superhero comic only uh, the characters are all sort of self-involved narcissists, uh, like Instagram Fantastic Four, sort of. And so Tom was looking for something. He said he wanted a backup strip that was kind of the complete opposite. He said he wanted something that was like realistic and still funny, like everything that Ahoy publishes is, is funny to one level or another. Um, mm -hmm. Your results may vary. And uh, so I, I, I had this idea for a comic strip about a washed up comedian. And so uh, Tom had worked with Fred Harper in the past on uh, Vertigo, uh, where Tom was an editor. Fred drew some issues of Animal Man and some other stuff. And uh, so he connected us. And um, it so happened that, uh, you know, I wanted this book set in New York and I wanted it to be about a stand up comedian. And Fred uh, lives in New York City and he loves stand up. So he immediately brought more to the strip than me uh, right away. And uh, so we worked on five. Uh, short backup stories for hashtag danger featuring this character. And then um, I thought that was it. And then Tom asked if we wanted to do a whole series. And um, uh, and this is the kind of character where just ideas just come flying at me all the time. Whenever I open my Twitter feed, I get another idea for Snelson. So it was very easy to come up with uh, come up with this, this series uh, plot. And I was really excited to work with Fred again because he is amazing. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, one of, one of the, the sort of elements of, of the series is, is uh, you know, Snelson's out on tour and he's got his, his type 15 and he talks about having been canceled. Um, mm -hmm. You know, popular phrase of the last five years or so. Yeah. The first time you, hear, you heard to uh, somebody being referred to as having been canceled or the phrase canceled culture. Uh, do I remember the first time? No, I don't think I do. I am very on Twitter, extremely on Twitter. So it's like part of the air I breathe. Sure. Um, I, I don't know the, I don't remember the first time I heard it. I just know I started hearing it everywhere all at once. Um, and yeah. you know, and then I would listen to some podcasts about the origin and that it started in, um, uh, it, it was, a a, a term in like R and B music and in black music, uh, there were songs about being canceled and that just meant blocked out of your love life. Um, and, uh, and then it, it gradually evolved and was co-opted by white people and turned into something horrible as is the case in our society. Um, so no, I just started hearing about it everywhere and I immediately started, uh, my bullshit detector went off. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so I've been obsessed with the idea of, of cancel culture and all the various meanings of it and everything, um, which is something that I wanted to tackle in this book because I think that, uh, 99% of it is bullshit. Uh, and we can go more into that if you'd like. <laughs> oh, sure. No, I, I, I'll yeah, I, I read uh, a Vox uh, article today just about that. And as soon as I saw, oh, it was a thing that came from marginalized groups that was co-opted by, uh, you know, white elites to create straw men and dilute the arguments of the powers. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like America. Okay. <laughs> 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 this is all, this is all, this is all, you know, the past is all prologue. Like I, I, I when I, you know, uh, Donald Trump brought the 
you know, politically incorrect back into vogue. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember that from the 90s, you know, being a punchline. And it's always been, it's always begun with, oh, those damn kids in college who are, you know, somehow worse than us. Even though every generation has said that about every generation before, we really mean it this time. And so it's become a, those damn kids. And, and then, you know, when the Me Too movement happened and uh, people started facing consequences, although like with Bill Cosby just getting out of jail, you can argue about how, whether the consequences are fair or not, um, uh, whether they're, you know, justice has actually been served. Um, mm -hmm. It sort of got swept up into that. And so it's sort of like right now it's a mega storm that's gone from like, oh, these kids to the society is changing and I, a straight white man, don't like it um, because I am losing, uh, you know, like I think a lot of people like Snelson in this book see it as a zero sum game. Like if I'm a straight white guy and I've been in comedy all this time and other people are gaining ground, then I must be losing something in this as opposed to I'm a comedian who's been telling the same joke since 1998 and maybe people don't want to hear those jokes anymore. So, so I should think about my act and like, you know, incorporate these changes. Um, so really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to call, uh, call BS on a lot of the, the, the cancel culture absurdity that's, that's been, that's been going on and sort of perpetuated by the media and, um, and just completely absorbed as gospel by a lot of, <laughs> by a lot of people. Yeah. You know, thinking of the the generational uh, angle of it, you know, each one thinking they're worse. Uh, you know, the the next one is worse off than the one before. Kind of the oh, these kids mentality. Uh, it just reminds me of when the great members of the greatest generation uh, kept trying to put on masks and costumes and scare baby boomers who were going into small towns with their dogs, solving mysteries. <laughs> this is all Scooby Doo ten. That's it's like you meddling kids and you're. They would have gotten away know. with it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's very much that. That. yeah it's just it's just absurd i'm i'm really disappointed in my generation for like immediately buying into like these college kids are up to something and it's no good you know it's like come on we're supposed to be media literate people and like be aware of these scares like i was told that my dungeons and dragons set was going to turn me into a satanist you know and it didn't happen so maybe like maybe you know college kids uh you know wanting to use a pronoun they feel comfortable with isn't the end of the world but yeah you know <laughs> I do think there's a good episode of Scooby-Doo in there where like Tucker Carlson is trying to scare off Zoomers or something. <laughs> I mean, the, the current Scooby-Doo has had some weird ass guest stars. Is, uh, is, hold on though. Is, is the Tucker Carlson face the mask or is Tucker Carlson <laughs> revealed? Like what happens when you rip off Tucker Carlson's face? That, that's some deep Bruce Wayne versus Batman shit that I'm not prepared <laughs> to <laughs> I think he's got kind of a, I think he's got kind of a, maybe like a Jack Kirby uh, bulldog person from Commandy underneath. He's got that dumb face whenever he asks someone a question, like, that kind of looks like my dog when I, like, you know, start singing in front of him. My dog's like, hmm? And that's, that's the Tucker Carlson face. So I'm, I'm betting on dog. He's a dog under there. Uh, love that. Love that for him. Um <laughs> So, uh, you know, we all know stand up is hard. I couldn't do it. You know, I don't, I don't have a tight 15 in me, let alone a tight five, but you know, portraying stand up comedy in comics, I imagine, uh, also has to be a challenge, you know, from a writing standpoint, yeah. you have to be able to write jokes that would land with a live audience. 
Or if the comedian is supposed to be bad at it, you have to write purposely bad jokes like you're writing for Fozzie Bear on The Muppet Show. You know, yep. from an art standpoint, drawing stands up, stand up means you're effectively drawing a dialogue scene. Mm-hmm. So how do you make that dynamic so the reader stays engaged? Uh, you know, how, how did you and Fred kind of talk through some of that stuff? Yeah, and, and that's a great question. And thank you for asking it. It's something that... Um, you know, one of the things that I love about comics um, more than, you know, movies or you can kind of get the same thing from books, but the timing is entirely in the hands of the reader, right? Like, like uh, you can do sometimes do a trick where you'll like get the reader to see something when they flip a page that they, you know, will, will affect their expectations or something like that. But um, it's, it's basically, you can like put a panel down and like, you know, take as long as you want in between picking it up and reading the next panel. Whereas in a movie, if you're pausing it, it's kind of unnatural. In comics, it's really, you the reader um, is setting the tempo. And, and that's, un- that's unlike almost any other art form that I can think of. And so, uh, and stand-up comedy is all rhythm. So really, I think what I'm saying is there's no good way to do stand-up comedy in a comic. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's uh, his, his uh, Snelson's stage bits in the comic are actually fairly small. They're almost, I was thinking of them almost in terms of, do you remember on Seinfeld, there used to be the bits where he would do like a little stand-up at the beginning and the end where he'd like, he'd comment on something. It wasn't even related to the rest of the episode, really, but it was just like a little snippet. So I was trying to yeah. think of it as in terms of that. Um, I don't, I, I can't imagine who could make a full comic out of a full tight 15 minute stand-up set and actually make it work. But um, so, so yeah, that was a challenge. Um, but uh, I didn't have to worry. And I think a lot of writers do. Um, I didn't have to worry about having Fred draw the stand-up set because Fred is amazing. Um, and uh, so Fred, uh, in the first issue, uh, Snelson is giving his, we have to have him, you know, give a little bit of his, his uh, routine. And, um, uh, and the way that Fred draws it is just incredible. He like, he's, he's showing Snelson on stage while also showing the audience's reaction and what, what Snelson is seeing on stage stage so mostly just like mouths you know like if, if I've been on stage in in clubs not doing comedy but uh you know readings and things like that and um uh you pretty much only see people's mouths and it's kind of disgusting if you're in a place where people are eating and uh and so so Fred does a really good job there's like one panel one whole spread where where Snelson is talking and he's just surrounded by these mouths and some of them are laughing and some of them are sneering and all that and it's a really great sense of what it's like to be on stage. So Fred is really good at taking the sort of internal and making it external. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, three pages of a guy standing in front of a brick wall um, because that would be sort of visually deaf because I knew that Fred would break it up and, 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 and do so in a way that would sort of uh, move the narrative along. So uh, yeah, so basically I guess I answered that question by saying nobody can do it and uh, I set out to fail automatically. But really, the the stand-up sets are just there to sort of give an idea of what what's going on in in Snelson's uh, in Snelson's head. I don't think I could ever. Um, it's possible that somebody might be able to take his his uh, his routine and put it on stage and make people laugh. But that would be their talent and not mine, for sure. If they were able to do it. Um, 
our uh, whenever we put out a call for Twitter questions, we can always count on uh, one of our listeners uh, giving us a, a good one. So uh, this comes from uh, Asma Fangirl, who um, asked something similar to what we had already planned uh, just now. But she also asked, you know, was there a joke in this comic that uh, that he tells that you know landed for you as an actual joke, or you found you know was one of the funnier ones that you've written for him to say? You know, I kind of like the one that Snelson does in the beginning of the book, um, which I think is his his desperate attempt at topical humor, which is like, I don't like sports at all. Um, mm. This is like the one time in the book where Snelson's really speaking for me. Um, I don't like sports and um, uh, no offense to people who do. It's just like never captured my attention. But, you know, I live in Seattle. Um, there are a lot of sports games. They affect public transit. Like they affect my life in ways and sometimes when I'm going out, I have to know if there's a game going on and, uh, uh, you know, if that's going to interfere with my, my commute or whatever. And so I will Google, like, is there a Sounders game? And then for three weeks afterwards, I get nothing but like soccer ads in my, in my, you know, all over the internet and like, and like trying to sell me jerseys and soccer balls and like signed things by players I've never heard of and all this. And so I thought like, you know, so I have to go into like incognito mode if I want to find out if there's a sports game in my vicinity. Otherwise, I have this trail of garbage following me around the internet that I don't care about. <laughs> so, uh, so I thought, and and then I put it in Snelson's mouth that it would be great if I if you could insert the word "fucking" in a search, and that way Google knows not to sell any ads based on that. So it's like, is there a fucking soccer game today? And and then Google would say yes there is a soccer game and then they wouldn't sell the ads or like, uh, you know, like um, sometimes you hear about what's going on in the TV show you don't care about. And you're like, what's the fucking last of us spoiler or not, not last of us. Uh, this is a spoiler um, or something like that. And so it's a, it would be a good way to sort of tell Google that you don't really give a shit. You're just trying to find out so you can move on and you never want to hear about it again. So that's the one that I felt most invested. Like if you were to put a gun on my head and say, go on stage and tell a joke, I would probably do that one and I would probably fail, but um, it would be, you know, it would be my attempt. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sorry, this is a tangent, but you just absolutely made me wonder what the last of this is us would be like, like the cast yeah. of this is us and a zombie. <laughs> I, I would kind of love to see that <laughs> special Halloween episode. <laughs> I, I have in my mind confused uh, This Is Us and The Last of Us so many times that it's, it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Just a gorgeously rendered video game designed to make you cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm pretty sure people who play the last... Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, I think they both do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And there's crying in baseball. So we're yeah, yeah. There we go. One of them has Mandy Moore. Uh, so so uh you know given this and and you know how how much uh seattle sports affect your life as a non-sports fan uh did the sonics leaving for oklahoma city make your life a little easier or um no because oh my god it's all anybody could talk about it was like i i like i said i don't i don't hate sports i just i'm not interested in them so when when um when they left, uh, uh, it was it was all over the news, and everybody was like, "Oh my God, we lost this team that never won anything, and it's the most tragic thing ever." And uh, there was a huge civic conversation, and I, I liked the logo, the Sonics. You know, like I like if if I had to watch a game, it would probably be basketball because at least something's always moving. Like mm-hmm. I went to a baseball game, and I just like I had to leave; it was so slow. Um, 
but uh but yeah so no i don't think i was i was i was bummed because everyone around me was bummed about it um, okay and seattle is getting a hockey team and that scene is like the first step to us regaining a basketball team and the hockey team is called the kraken they haven't played yet but they have an amazing logo and i really like the logo i don't know if you've seen it it's like a stylized s with like tentacles around it and a little scary red eye in the corner of the s it's really beautiful and um and so i approve uh so so matt uh that's that's two weeks in a row with people talking about cool tentacles <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> oh man hentai okay. is mainstream now uh, yeah uh, hentai hentai spinoff podcast <laughs> that, that would require research that would also screw up my google algorithm that i really don't want it to yeah. See, if you try show me some fucking tentacle porn then you'd be fine uh, what was that fucking lovecraft guy about um yeah <laughs> Oh man, that would screw up your search in more ways than one. Uh, but uh, let's uh, let, let's pull back to to, to praising Fred here. Uh, the thing I loved about the cover to the first issue, the A cover, uh, is that uh, I could not help but be mesmerized and have my drawn my eye drawn to the um, the cow's asshole uh, that yes. is on the cover. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's Fred. He's he's got this amazing. He does. Um, for his day job, he does uh, political caricatures for magazines, mostly. It's like, uh, you know, sort of uh, exaggerated uh, uh, portraits of public figures. And he's got this amazing mix of like caricature and realism. And I'd say on that cover, Snelson's face is the caricature and the cow's asshole is the total realism. And I don't know what his Google search looks like, but he did an amazing job because that is exactly where your eye is supposed to go. That is the, the vanishing point of the cover is that. Um, so yeah, it's beautiful. I think that's a good, it's a good indicator of the book. You know, we're going straight into the cow's asshole. <laughs> it's, the, it's the unspoken slogan of the... Uh... <laughs> Some people want to go into the spider verse. Other people want to go deep into the cow's anus. <laughs> oh man. Um... So one thing I wanted to know about the design of, of Snelson himself and, and, you know, please, if this is a spoiler, don't, you know, feel free to not answer, but you know, Snelson, uh, Melville has black sideburns and then he has a white tuft of hair on top and a white soul patch, mm -hmm. which part, which part is dyed or is he just sort of naturally graying from the center out? I think it's from the center out. I think that's exactly right. I don't, I, Snelson, I think like dyed his hair once with manic panic in the nineties and it turned into a shit show. Like his bathroom is still purple. And I think that's, that's all he's ever done. So I'm pretty sure it's natural because later in the series, spoiler alert, he does grow a beard and uh, it is also white. Um, but uh, it turns into, uh, it turns darker as you go up the sideburns. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's natural. It's a very striking hairdo. It's kind of like a, uh, a 90 degree flipped Reed Richards, I guess, is what he's got going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Snelson in one epic rant uh, says that podcast sucks. And mm. here you are, his creator appearing on a podcast. Mm -hmm. Looks mm -hmm. like we won. Suck it uh -huh. for the D-bag. Um, <laughs> but, but seriously, uh, do you listen to comedy podcasts? 
comedy podcasts, yes. Uh, I listen to, I mean, mostly comedy interview podcasts, to be honest. I listen to, um, you know, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend and Mark Maron, the big ones. And mm-hmm. um, I really liked a podcast called Punch Up the Jam that was out uh, for like three years. It was uh, 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 Demi Adjuibe and uh, Miel Bredo, and they would, do, they would take a song and they would spend like an hour discussing the song. And then they would make a, a version of the song that was better than the song, or it was usually worse, but they would try to make it better. Um, and that was my favorite all-time comedy podcast, for sure. I love podcasts. I listen to all of them. I listen to comics podcasts. I love this podcast. And I'm, 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 a, I'm a fan of, uh, of the medium. And in fact, in the next issue, issue number two of Snelson, Snelson has a podcast. So he is completely full of shit. <laughs> if, I, if i have not uh if i have not gotten this across to you yet he is not a good man and most of what he says is a lie <laughs> so uh, i'm gonna uh you in your most recent newsletter you talked about walking yeah uh do you listen while you walk or is that you said in there you do a lot of you know writing in your head during that mm-hmm. uh my five mile a day walks or when i listen to a ton of podcasts personally yeah yeah i usually walk about um 10 miles a day and so about five of that is walking my dogs and with those ones i listen to podcasts um and then the other five are me thinking about writing either it's for my day job i do a a political writing job where i do um uh i write like editorials and ads and things like that for things like uh uh uh, gun violence prevention and raising the minimum wage and things like that. And, but I also do a lot of comics writing in my head. I don't do a whole lot of drafts. I do. I like write it all in my head and then I sit down and actually write it out. So, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big walker. I do 10 miles a day. And then on Saturdays, I usually do like 20 to 25 miles. Yeah, oh, wow. I, I'm up to five a day now. Uh, I was uh, about, two thirds of the way through the pandemic, not that it's over, but you know, during the lockdowns and things, I was like, yeah, I've put on some weight. I need to do something about that. And I used to walk a ton and then I fucked up my knee and it became harder. And now a few years later, it's like, okay, my knee's just strong enough that I can start doing this again. And now it's like, I can do five miles a day and I don't even feel it anymore. Yeah. So now it's about time to get up to six. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it, yeah. Beca- it becomes time because I don't have the excuse of a dog. I've got cats. That, uh-huh. uh, walking them does not know that would no, 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 <laughs> not if I want to have fingers. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's great. Walking is the best. It's the best exercise. Like I've, everyone I know who jogs has like seriously like fucked up their knee or their back or something like that. Walking for me, it's been really gentle. I'm sorry to hear about your knee. I hope it's, I hope it's doing better. But. No, that it's, yeah, that was many, many years ago. It was a, it was baseball and then a, a I don't even want to say the embarrassing part about this. Yeah. Well, it was, a, it was a, a theater major where you're required to take one dance class. I okay. made it through the entire semester three classes from the end i come down wrong and bam there it goes again what was the dancing what was the style of dance man it was it, it, movement so it was like you know oh, just yeah. like trying to get you to do different things with your body and it was like okay. i'm not even a friggin' actor <laughs> I, I was the one friggin' academic in that entire department who was studying it was theater as theater history because i mm. was also an english major with a focus in dramatic literature so it was like perfect there's synthesis but you still got to take all those basic classes 
Hey. You were, uh, you were like a cop with two weeks left till the retirement. <laughs> <laughs> we call it retirement. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I was hoping it was like a cha-cha. Like you blew out your knee during a cha-cha or like if, a, a tango. That would have, I would be less ashamed of that. <laughs> I went down for a dip and I didn't come back up. Horrible. <laughs> I, I went nightmare. down with a rose in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Got a thorn in my tongue. It's horrible. It's blown out me. Uh, but, uh, you know, thinking about uh, comedians and, and podcasts, and, and you mentioned Marin earlier, you know, there's definitely been this kind of switch. This whole prepping for this interview has gotten me thinking about, like, you know, stand up and, and the stuff that I used to watch and like, you know, the heyday of Comedy Central, all this stuff. But there was definitely a switch at some point, you know, in the 2000s where it was like, it was, there was a stand up to sitcom pipeline. And then all of a yeah. sudden it was like the sitcom to podcast pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the sitcom to podcast pipeline is less lucrative for comedians, but uh, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, Snelson, like his big claim to fame is that he did shoot a pilot that wasn't picked up for a sitcom in the 90s. And that's one of the things that he's bitter about. Um, yeah, yeah. And it, there's a lot of podcasts that I start listening to them and they're like so full of in-jokes that I can't even follow what's going on um, and things like that. But yeah, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty great time for um, for for comedy. But the funny thing is a lot of those podcasts are obsessed with, you know, cancel culture and how you can't say certain things, which really just, you know, for a lot of people just means I can't say this racist thing anymore without people getting mad which is um you know so it's uh it's a real it's real um but yeah i mean there's there's something for everybody i really like podcasts i think they're a really um intimate way of discussing i was listening to this one person who said um uh he did he he writes books he's on tv and he does podcasts and when somebody comes up who knows him from his author photo and like has read the book They'll be like, oh, hey, I read your book. I had an issue with this one idea. And they want to have a conversation about the ideas. If somebody sees them on TV, they come up to them and they're like, hey, man, I saw you on TV. And they're like, whoa, my mind's blown. But if somebody is like knows him from a podcast, they'll walk up to him and start talking to him like they're friends. You know, there's like a real sort of intimacy when you have somebody in your ear for all this time um, that that really makes people feel like they know a person, which I think is, is pretty neat. And I'm sure like people abuse it all the time. And mm -hmm. I'm sure there'll be like a cult leader who just like specifically goes out on podcasts, maybe whoever like the next Republican presidential candidate will be a right wing podcaster or something. And everybody will be like, what the hell is like, why does anyone care? And it's because he's been like, whispering sweet nothings in people's ears for four years so uh yeah <laughs> they are great and they will destroy the world that's my prediction about podcasts <laughs> yeah, that, that that's a red skull plot in captain america waiting to happen <laughs> it is it is it is tanahisi almost uh tanahasi almost went that way and uh in he made him uh jordan peterson which is like the next best thing to a podcast yeah no that that's true i've been yeah, yeah i've been reading that book and i'm like wow okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know what I loved about the the Tanahasi Captain America? It's not over yet, but it's going to be over soon. I Last loved how this week is a recording. Yeah, oh, was it this week? Okay. Yeah, uh, I loved how informed by the uh, the Mark Greenwald Captain America it was. Like there were so many characters from that, and I thought mm -hmm. that was awesome because I I grew up on that 
like that Captain America was totally my my favorite comic growing up with the US agent and mm-hmm. all that stuff. It was like I was and Reagan turning into a snake and like you know, people say comics are too political now. It's like, <laughs> man, <laughs> Captain America fought a naked Ronald Reagan who had turned into a snake in the Oval Office. Like you you can't say anything about comics being too political now. Um but yeah, that that was totally my bag and uh like he clearly like read those books and loved them. And so mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate that about his run now. Yeah, I mean, Cap Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm a huge Grunewald fan. He did go a little off the rails at the end there with like Captain America, like in a battle suit oh, yeah. and he turned into a woman once to fight uh, superior, which again is kind of that Mort Weisinger Superman thing, right? Only the problem is he took like six issues of Cap Wolf. Like Cap Wolf, would have been an amazing 12 page story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you read about like Cap Wolf and then you turn the page and Cap's turning into a woman. And it's like, this is a great, this is the greatest comic book ever. But if, if you're plunking down like, you know, for a year's worth of comics and you're like, okay, he turned into a wolf and then he turned into a woman. And I don't know, I don't know what he's doing here. It, it, you know, more bang for your buck, I think is, is, is what Greenwald should have done. He definitely, I, uh... You know, I, I've read a lot of different eras of Cap, and I love Grunewald specific, specifically because he was not afraid to get weird with it. Like, yeah. my favorite Cap run is Kirby in the late 70s. That oh, yeah, is yeah. bananas. Uh, <laughs> and Grunewald's, like, in at number two, uh, you know, while telling a little bit more of a same cohesive Cap story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the Kirby Captain America was great because it, it had nothing to do with, like, patriotism or anything it was just like weird shit weird shit it was amazing um there were that what was it mr big and mr little like the two mutants oh, and mr. oh man mr. two yep yep from mr one and mr two sorry yeah yeah yeah, yeah and uh it's work <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the uh yeah somebody just tried to like correct that as a continuity error in an x-men book recently I saw and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that needed fixing really. Like it was, it was Kirby doing Kirby. It's fine. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, that was great. Um, I really like the Steve Englehart one again, where Captain America like watches Richard Nixon shoot himself in the face. Uh, also, also not political at all. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Captain America's a surprisingly, like, I don't know if he was anybody's favorite character for a long time, um, but he had some really underrated runs. You know, Daredevil has had amazing runs and is celebrated for it. But Captain America, you really find out what makes a writer tick on Captain America, I think, right? Like, you get, you get some weird stuff, <laughs> and, uh, and it's, it's, it's usually pretty interesting. So. And, of course, in the movies, they, they kicked ass with him. I was uh, I was very impressed with the characterization of him in the movies. I was worried he was going to be like the Ultimates, and uh, I was not a fan of the Ultimates Captain America, to say the least. Yeah, no, fair. Yeah. So I'm going to uh, start a feud with Mark Miller. <laughs> Listen, that's a good way. To, good way to raise the profile. Exactly. Yeah, Mark Miller. I'm calling you out. Um, it is pronounced Miller, right? Yes. Yeah. As far as I know, <laughs> this is the problem with reading comics your whole life is you don't know how to pronounce a goddamn thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce anyone's last name, and it really makes me look like a dumbass. Uh, you know, when we have guests whose names are a little bit harder to pronounce, you know, we'll usually like before we introduce them, you know, kind of 
uh, and it's only had to happen. Have, that's only had to happen like once or twice recently, but mm. uh, you know, you, you, you never know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's tricky. Um, it's uh, it takes it takes a little bit of effort to you know ask somebody, but it also shows that you care, which is yeah. which is nice. I think uh, I think the. I'm kind of glad we're past the days of people going like, you know, here's a, I don't know, Tennessee Cody's or whatever. Like, you know, like it's, it's, it's good. People are making the effort and that shows they care. And we live in a society and everybody caring for each other. And it's nice. Um, yeah. I'm a fan. <laughs> so uh, in, in researching for the, for this uh, episode, uh, I was looking for examples of stand up in comics, uh, you know, and uh you know, it's one of those things where my recency bias kicks in. So, you know, initially I'm thinking about, uh, there was a book called Knock 'em Dead that came out uh, la or last year, I think by uh, Elliot Ray Hall. And then uh, Joe Hill did one with Martin Simmons called Dying is Easy, uh, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. But then Matt reminded me about Don Rickles appearing in Jimmy Olsen back during the <laughs> Jack Kirby Fourth World days. With his and twin goodie. <laughs> and then somebody clued me into the fact that DC published comics starring Bob Hope and D Martin and Jerry Lewis for, and they mm -hmm. ran for a long ass time, mm -hmm. like throughout mm -hmm. the fifties and into the sixties. Yep. Like this is something I, I had no idea about. Like I knew like there were Westerns, there were, you know, romance comics or crime comics were all these non superhero things happening. And then apparently there were licensed comedian comics. Uh, yep. That is, that is something I cannot see working now. You know what I mean? Like, like remember that whole thing with Warren Ellis, like just a couple of weeks ago where he tried to publish, uh, you know, say that his next image book was coming out and then the image had to like pull an about face and be like, yeah, that's not, that's not yeah. happening. Uh, we did an oops a doodle. Um, imagine that same scenario, but with Louis CK. Right. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That issue where he, uh, where he meets Ms. Marvel would just be in like a different light now, I guess it's, it's a, uh, yeah, I, it's there was a there was a whole thing um, with uh, with that. Although I have to say, um, in defense of my my stand up and, and comics are hard. Uh, I don't think Bob Hope did much stand up in those comics. Like they were kind of like Jimmy Olsen comics, where he'd just be like traveling around the world, and then mm -hmm. he'd get like swept up into a spy thing, and he'd be chasing after microfilm that was in a comb that like wound up in somebody else's luggage or something like that. Like he didn't actually do the stand up on the things, and neither did, as I recall it, the Don Rickles Jimmy Olsen. I don't. He no. he. he He's an insult comedian, so he insulted everybody, which is awesome. <laughs> uh, but he didn't actually do stand up. I mean, it is hard. I haven't read those two because uh, by the time they were the two that you mentioned, the recent ones, um, mm -hmm. because by the time they were announced, I was working on this book and I didn't want to, you know, uh, set myself up to like unconsciously plagiarize anybody. So sure. I'm looking forward to reading them now. Um, uh uh but uh yeah it's 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 tricky there but there were there were like jerry lewis comics there were um oh man there's one ah yeah but i mean there's always you know licensed comics there's always i remember there were ultimate warrior from wwf comics <laughs> when i was younger and nfl super pro and things like that which which are you know they're always a little uncomfortable and weird and afterwards everybody's like what but um, but yeah, they, that was Bob Hope running for like a hundred issues or something was definitely um, 
was <laughs> not something that would happen today. There's a Welcome Back Cotter uh, comic book. <laughs> That's right. Podcast. It's a pie. It's, yeah. It was part of the DC implosion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, DC, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it's it's uh, they they keep trying. God bless them. So maybe one day it'll work. I wish somebody had done a Seinfeld comic. He probably would have gone with it. He's a big Superman fan. I bet you DC yeah. could have gotten a uh, could have gotten a, a Seinfeld comic off the ground. A comic about nothing. I, I could I could see Larry David making that work with the with, with the right artist absolutely he doesn't he doesn't read comics Larry David doesn't read Larry David totally thinks that comics are for kids and like you know that they're they're um you know I'm I'm sure he's got some condescending comics attitude that's uh that's totally disheartening and and all that but you know he likes money so exactly <laughs> that's all that matters yeah. <laughs> that's what uh, money is these days comics. Okay, I, I got to interject because I, I was looking something up for, for a, a thing I was gonna I was gonna talk about in a second, and while looking it up, I instead stumbled upon something infinitely more disquieting. Because uh, <laughs> I was gonna more hentai, I, is it? <laughs> oh no, no, no. Um, so there was a four issue prequel comic to the Andrew Dice Clay vehicle, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. <laughs> wow. Published by DC. By DC. I by DC. Yeah, because oh. the the I heard about that movie because that movie was on the I remember an ad for it on the back of various DC comics for a, a <laughs> period. It was like and and in retrospect I now realize what an odd choice that was. But now yeah. seeing this it's like Okay, and uh, uh, look, it's okay. Written by oh boy, this this thing, not to use the parlance, but this thing would be canceled multiple times over <laughs> between the Andrew Dice Clayness of it and the written by Gerard Jones of it. Oh, oh, really? Oh. Oh, yeah. Man. Is it better yeah. by Eddie Berganzo too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They'll just go all out. After that, they'll work on like Louis C.K. and the Comedy Force or something like that, where he teamed up with a bunch of kids. Oh, pencil. Okay. Yeah. Does it, the, oh, um, I guess breakdowns by Russell Braun, who was doing lots of breakdowns back then. He looks oh. like the only name on here that I can see. Oh, ink by Don Heck. Interesting. Yeah. Dazzling Don Heck? Yeah, what an odd. Penciled by Jose, designed by Russ Braun, penciled by Jose Delbo, and inked by Don Heck. How bizarre. That sounds to me like a whole bunch of people like walked off the good job. <laughs> I don't have any inside information, but it looks to me like maybe uh, maybe uh, Braun was like, nope, I'm out. And yeah. then like, no, Andrew Dice Clay wants me to draw him like an Adonis. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then they handed it to somebody else. And like, yeah. Okay. yeah, he did the initial character designs and there's like, nope. No, I'm not changing yeah. that. No, thank yeah. And then Don Heck knows how to ink a book in a week and like everybody else has walked off yeah. because Andrew Dice Clay has like, you know, harassed them into like quitting. That sounds like there's got to be a story. There's got to be an oral history behind that book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, to talk to Gerard Jones about it. Uh, <sighs> it that, that, Matt, that sounds like the kind of book uh, if uh, a friend of the show, Rob Lynch, found that diving through some long boxes, he would <laughs> definitely pick that up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, that is obscure and bizarre enough that, that yeah that is absolutely a rob get 
but also oh. like if DC has the license, I mean, I don't imagine they still do. If DC had the license rights to Ford Fairlane for like an extended period of time, like there's a Ford Fairlane Lobo team up in there somewhere that <laughs> yes. just never got written. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I could just Keith, no Keith Giffen, who was writing all the love. I, I could not see Giffen taking uh, Andrew Dice Clay. It would, uh, no, no, Giffen would have just, no. <laughs> Beisley. Could you imagine that, that guy says word one to Beisley? <laughs> I think Beisley would have some fun with that book. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but I don't think Andrew we, Dice we Clay can, would we like to We can culturally about the Dice Man in 2021, but. <laughs> You know, I think the three of us, if we like took out what was in our pockets right now, we could probably buy the rights to Andrew Dice Clay at Comics, like just flat. It's probably on eBay right now. And with for like nine seventy five, we can like buy it and make all the Andrew Dice Clay comics we want. You just have to outbid Dynamite. That's all. That's all. <laughs> I'll talk to Tom. We'll see if Ahoy wants to get in the Andrew Dice Clay business. <laughs> The Dice Man. I would pay to. I I would pay to read a Mark Russell Andrew Dice Clay comic. It would be amazing. Yes. Oh my God! I want that so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the Dice Man solving mysteries with children. Yeah. <laughs> and examining the human condition. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It would be amazing. Be anything. Anything Mark writes is amazing. I'm. I'm thrilled to be on the same. Like, I mean, every everybody's publishing Mark Russell books now, but uh, but it's it's pretty incredible to be on a hoy with him. Uh, like, yeah. He could do it. I would yes. read it. No, that's a, that's a Russell and Pew banger uh, yeah. right there. <laughs> um, so, so who are some of your uh, stand-up, uh, who are some of the comedians that you like or follow or appreciate? Oh, man. Um, let me see. I, I mean, I really like John Mulaney. Um, Same. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did. I liked Louis C.K. a lot um, before all of that. I saw him perform once. I have to say, watching Louis C.K. perform live was very different than watching him on TV. Because, um, like, he was doing, I forget which material it was, but he, there was a point where he stopped in the middle of a joke and he said, I'm a nice guy. And, and like, and him saying that on stage, he, he did not seem like a nice guy. He was talking about complaining about a hotel room or something. And I was like, yeah, no. I don't think you're a nice guy, <laughs> but if, if he, you know, like the stand-up special, there's something about like being in his face and it, it, it you, you feel like you're more on his team or something like that. So anyway, um, I really respected the writing of his jokes. I really like writerly comedians. I like, um, oh, who else? I like Ilsa Schlesinger. I like, um, uh, let me see. I'm trying to think of comedians now. Uh, locally in Seattle, there are a couple of comedians named uh, Emmett Montgomery and Brett Hamill, who do, um, before the pandemic, they had a weekly comedy night uh, that was very good. Um, I hope it comes back after the pandemic is over. Um, who else? There are some comedians who I track a lot, and now I'm on the spot, and I can't think of them. What about you? You like, you like Mulaney. Yeah, no, uh, love Mulaney. Uh, you know, I hope he's getting the what he needs uh, after he went into uh, rehab last year. But um, yeah. I, I tell you what, so, you know, again, I was thinking of, because when I was a teenager, you know, that was like right when Comedy Central was starting. So mm -hmm. all of a sudden I had access to all these stand-up specials that I didn't have before because, I don't know, my parents only intermittently had HBO or whatever. You know, I used to, this is the thing that I always think about from that era. I used to love Dennis Miller. 
I thought he yes. was. Now remember, we're talking about a fifteen-year-old. He don't know, yeah. sh- you know, fifteen-year-old me don't know shit. I thought he was the smartest guy on the planet, and mm-hmm. then nine eleven happened, mm-hmm. and. and you know, I, I wonder, like, if I went back and I watched Dennis Miller Black and White, which at the time was like my favorite stand-up special, I, I wonder if it would age as well. I would probably see the red flags in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of don't want to ruin that for myself, but you know, it was it was definitely a period where where stand-up was hot, and you could kind of watch all these. Uh, you know, specials because Comedy Central hadn't really started the the crank on like original programming yet. So that's all they had it was yeah. like old, uh, you know, Tim Allen or that one uh, Dana Carvey special and and, yeah. and and what have you, you know, now, you know, my attention span for television is frankly terrible. So I can't like, I know there's a ton of stand up out there like Netflix. It's like half their original programming. Yeah. You know, that's, that's how I'm watching all the, the, the Mulaney specials, but you know, I, I was actually, I was um, looking for something Saturday night and I found a new like 2021 Brian Regan special. And that, huh. um, yeah, that <laughs> amazed me. And it, listen, he's still, he's like 60 something. He's still funny, you know, yeah. uh, but he's also like, I would say he's the anti-Snelson in that like, you know, he's, he's older, he's an older middle age, but like he's, he was never an edgelord comedian, right? He was never mm-hmm. out there bitching about cancel culture. He was never a puncher either up or down, to be quite honest. But, mm-hmm. you know, that was that was refreshing. But really, yeah, I, I, I would say Mulaney is probably the only stand-up I follow now. And like Patton Oswalt, but really more for his acting. Yep. Yeah, I, Patton Oswalt still does good comedy, I think. Um, uh, his last special I liked, I liked pretty well i can't remember i think it was on amazon i don't that's the problem you gotta like track them across like three different services and it's like it's, <laughs> it's you know um uh i really like the bo burnham special which doesn't really mm-hmm. qualify as stand-up but he's a stand-up comedian and i think it had the pacing of a stand-up special so kind of counts but yeah you can you can there's there's just like there's too much now <laughs> to uh to to keep track of which is a shame um but yeah it's it's at the same time, you know, hopefully we're getting some, some young comedians who are coming up who are going to do some amazing things who wouldn't have had the chance just because there are so many options for, for having their stuff uh, presented. Because, you know, like before, like the HBO special was the, the end-all be-all of the stand-up comedy thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you, get, you got your HBO special, like Chris Rock did like three of them and he was like, you know, untouchable for, yeah. for many, many years. So, yeah, but yeah, no, I had the same thing with Dennis Miller. I was... Uh, a big fan of his on Saturday Night Live, and he seemed so cool with his mullet and his suit, and uh, <laughs> and and I thought, yeah. But then, exactly, nine eleven, the Millers, Dennis and Frank, both uh, both kind of went a little nuts. It seems like Frank's coming back though, which is good, good for him. Um, but it did; it blew a lot of older people's minds, which is uh, which is you know, I guess I guess predictable. But yeah, yeah, he's terrible have you listened to his stuff dennis miller lately oh god no i i did read uh today i found an interview from 2019 because i think I, I i googled the phrase what happened to dennis miller not that i didn't <laughs> know but i was I, I was hoping i'd find like like i don't know a, a new yorker article that went in depth on like you know his like i don't know the history from monday night football for yeah. or, or or whatever I, I didn't find that but it was just like a interview for a local paper and he was doing a show at uh in like Charlotte 2019 and yeah no it's it's the same sort of attitude 
and like yeah. there was a whole paragraph about him complaining about Bernie Sanders. I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He and also went went around talking about SNL uh, actors. She is she's bonkers. Uh, tea party like anti-vax crazy person um and then not snl but gallagher is also uh, uh, a crazy right winger um really i didn't know yeah. That. Oh, yeah 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 i i worked like uh, the original gallagher or gallagher 2 or both of them uh, <laughs> I, I believe both of them at and least original gallagher, recipe yeah 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 it's like it's like wave it's like particles right when one gallagher moves the other gallagher also moves in tandem and uh <laughs> So there, uh, yeah, my, uh, I worked at a alt weekly in Seattle called the stranger and one of my coworkers, uh, was, uh, Lindy West. And she, um, she has a TV series based on her book shrill, uh, now, but she went to a, she went to a Gallagher, con- uh, show and it was at an army base, like way up North in Washington state. And, and it was just horrifying. I highly recommend you Google Lindy West and Gallagher and hear about his show. It's like, it's, he's he's just like he's just doing racist stuff now it's incredible how like unfunny he is um yeah yeah that's the thing about conservative comedians is they um you can only do so much like you know kids these days before you stop being you know like something like a george carlin always managed to have the self-awareness to know you know he could be crabby but he knew he was being crabby and dennis miller thinks he is being like the voice of truth in the wilderness like guiding people to the right way which involves like president trump um and like uh yeah so as soon as he um yeah as soon as you adopt that sort of like uh conservative worldview i think it sort of puts a lid on on how far you can push the comedy or something it becomes dogma it's mm-hmm. very unfunny, deeply unfunny. <laughs> so, man, I just came here to watch you smash a watermelon with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I got my poncho and everything, and instead you're talking about like, you know, how people in like from certain countries are dog shit, and like I just wanted to get watermelon on my face, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> So uh, at the at the risk again, you know, uh, of asking for spoilers, will we see Melville Melville uh, in his '90s prime when he was hanging out with Janine Garofalo back when that mattered? Uh, allegedly hanging out with Janine Garofalo. Yes, no one allegedly. has ever confirmed. Yeah, uh, he says he went on a date with her, but nobody can confirm. Uh, we there 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 are some some hints of his '90s glory days. Um, uh, but I didn't want to go too far into that. Like we don't have an, a whole issue set in the nineties because one of the things about people like Melville who feel like they've been, you know, you know, like the star quarterback in high school or whatever is they talk about the old days and you don't get to see them. So you just see an old person talking about the good old days. So I didn't want to sort of, you know, uh, uh, it was very important to me to not present him as somebody who is cool or good in, in any way. And I'm worried that if we went too far back in the 90s, that he might look like a, a uh, you know, cool or somebody to admire when he is not that. Um, so, yeah, that's the trick of an anti-hero thing is, um, uh, is, is you've got to be really careful with how you handle them or else mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, people are... Um, uh, you know, people are, are, 
uh, you know, dressing up like the Joker and acting weird at conventions and creeping out women and stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> I didn't yeah. want to get too deep into the 90s uh, in the 90s stuff. And also, I don't think I could write like I don't think I could write a good David Cross, you know, uh, routine from the 90s. And David Cross, I think, is as close to uh, Snelson. If you want to imagine what a what a Snelson set in the 90s, like picture a David Cross uh, routine that's about like. 20% less funny and about 10% more assholeish. That's, that's the, that's, the, <laughs> that's in his prime. That's the formula, I think. No, I, I can definitely see that, especially with the look of Snelson. Like you subtract the tuft and the soul patch. Yes. No, yep. uh, <laughs> there's, there's Dr. Tobias Funke right there. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fred, Fred's done a really good job of like, you can see from certain angles, he looks a little bit like Mark Marin. You know, like he's 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 got a bunch of comedian faces sort of in in Snelson that like he's a little chameleonic in that way. And he goes through some physical changes in this in this book, too. And, and he starts to look more like one comedian or, you know, so it's it's uh, it's it's pretty fun to watch. So uh, I was curious about the the strategy in terms of, of covers and variant covers for this book. Uh, you know, we've already talked about about the cow's asshole. Obviously, there's there's mm-hmm. one that Fred does where uh, Snelson looks like Larry King, which is great. But then you've also mm-hmm. got people like uh, Peter Bag and uh, Sergio Aragonés contributing art, which is yeah, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So Ahoy is doing some variant covers. Um, I think more because they're fun than you know uh, than to like incite collector uh you know sure. uh, frenzy um uh but and um and so tom asked uh fred and i if we had any ideas and i threw out peter bag um because i think one of the other things that i'm doing in this book is i'm sort of uh when i was writing it i very much had on my mind the autobiographical comics indie comics of the 80s and 90s joe matt um and uh uh, uh Seth and uh, Chester Brown in particular, like this sort of thing where guys documented acting like jerks pretty much. And at the time I thought they were so cool. Like I wanted nothing more than to hang out in a bar with Joe Matt, which now, you know, like sounds like hell on earth. Um, <laughs> 90s Joe Matt, I'm sure he's perfectly nice now, but at the time he's even, I think even he has to admit he was kind of an asshole. So anyway, I thought of, uh, uh, Peter Bag because you know he would hate he did sort of the quintessential like bad boy edgy comic of the uh, the 80s and 90s that I'm sort of speaking to a little bit in this strip and um, I know Peter he's from up here in Seattle he's uh, uh, in the area and he actually drew me into a strip once uh, because I was uh, he and I were the libertarian candidate for president in 2012, Gary Johnson came to Seattle to do a fundraiser and I was working for a newspaper and Peter works for a reason because he's a libertarian. He's one of the good libertarians. Um, he's not a Ron Paul libertarian. And, uh, and he drew me in the background of the strip, which I thought was incredibly awesome. Uh, and I've done some book events with him and things out here. And so I, I had his contact information and he was very eager to do it. And I was super excited to see Snelson drawn in that uh, in that Peter Bag style. It feel it felt like I was you know like it's it was it was such a thrill to me like collecting hate like I you know lost my mind when they killed Stinky and Hate back in the spoiler alert back in the late nineties and um, so yeah and then one day out of the blue Tom just uh, Tom Pyre emailed me uh, Sergio Aragonés's sketch of 
uh, cover for Snelson too. I have no idea how he got it. I, I assume some sort of a kidnapping was involved or like there, he took a hostage or something. I don't know what, what, what Tom did to get Sergio Aragonis to do a cover, but it, I actually wept nerd tears because I was such a, uh, a Gru fan initially, uh, Gru the Wanderer. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents wouldn't let me read Mad Magazine because it was, I don't know. They, they didn't have many, many hard lines, but Mad Magazine was like one of the things they did not want to spend money on. Um, so I had to come to that later, but like he's been such a huge influence in my life and that cover is, uh, is incredible. There's so many gags on it. That I think I'm still spotting things um, from that cover. It's Snelson on stage in a crowded club and Snelson is in the spotlight and nobody in the club is paying attention to him. Everybody is doing their own thing. There's a guy in the back with a drone there are like there's like three bad dates happening on the cover. It's just incredible. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think they just wanted to do things that would sort of get people's attention. Like with Peter Bag, we wanted to say like you know Ahoy does uh, superhero stuff and they do it really well with uh, with you know Dragonfly Man and the Wrong Earth and Penultimate mm-hmm. Man. But we also have some like this is a it's a realistic book even though Fred does some amazing psychedelic things with the artwork. Um, so we wanted to sort of signal to people that, you know, if you liked, if you like, you know, the alternative comics of the 90s, you'll find something here. Um, and uh, and Sergio Aragonis is just like, you know, just buy this cover because it's Sergio Aragonis. Like, why wouldn't you? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it was, it's, uh, it's been really good. I think, I think those two are the only variant covers for the book. Um, but I mean, I could not complain about those, those two artists contributing to this book. It's just such a, such an amazing thing and you almost see snelson's uh asshole on the peter bag cover which if <laughs> that's if that's your thing go for it it's kind of almost the exact inverse of fred's cover um instead of the the cow with his butt turned up it's snelson so uh so you know take your pick <laughs> <laughs> uh just depends on what side of the butt you like um <laughs> exactly <laughs> so say someone uh comes to you uh you know weeks from now or whenever uh, wanting to make a, a Snelson adaptation for Netflix or film or whatever. Um, you know, I'm not looking for specific names, but given your druthers, would you go with an established stand-up comedian with dramatic chops or a method actor willing to do some open mic nights to, to kind of hone his craft to, to take on the role of a you stand-up know, comedian? <laughs> it's, it's tricky, right? Because I think that Snelson would be an interesting show. I do think I would want to make sure it didn't wind up in the wrong hands, like, you know, Ben Shapiro's production company, like turning (laughs) him into like a a hero or something like that. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. uh, um, so I've actually thought about this because uh, 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 somebody on the, somebody on the staff asked me um, on the Ahoy staff, just asked me idly, not, not because of any conversations or anything, but um, Mm -hmm. I thought a great comedian to place Nelson on TV would be uh, Chris Gethardt. Do you know oh, Chris Gethart? Yes, yes. Because yeah. he's such he's such a nice guy, and everybody likes him, and he's a very thoughtful comedian. That he could play this asshole, and I think he could play him to be a total asshole on TV. But he has like the cultural, you know, comfort zone around him, so that you know that he's okay. But he's playing a dick, and and mm-hmm. because we did, we tried to work pretty hard in this book not to make not to make Snelson somebody that people would want to envy or or become you know um uh because people always have a thing with like anti-heroes and like you know they they um 
Uh, you know, there's there are certain people who I think honestly think that Thanos was right in, in the Avengers movies and things like that. And you can't help that. But I didn't want to put him on a pedestal. And I think that Chris Gethart would have the right sort of uh, 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 he's got the stand up chops. He's a good, thoughtful comedian. And it would be very obvious where he was coming from, which I think is is important with something like this. You don't want to wind up uh, feeding the beast that you're trying to like poke at with satire. And so that that was my take. I don't know. You guys seem to agree. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. And he already has, you know, film work because he's been in two different documentaries about Action Park, the uh, New Jersey amusement park that was deemed <laughs> the most dangerous place on earth. <laughs> he was in that weird uh, Steve Carell Space Force show too. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, okay. He played a, an idiot uh, idiot space shuttle mechanic or something like that. Anyway, he was he was fine. He was fine. He was good. So, yeah, he, he, he can act too. So that's, that's, that was my pick, for sure. It wasn't when we were coming up with it, but, um, but when somebody asked me that, I was, it like instantly clicked. And I think if I write Snelson again, that might actually play into it a little bit. So, yeah. So we mentioned earlier briefly your uh, previous Ahoy series, Planet of the Nerds, which I, I really enjoyed. Uh, <laughs> And you're welcome. Um, it and it was an interesting book because it tread this very thin line. It could have been really easy to make this book the the nerd wish fulfillment, the you know jocks get punished and brought low, a la mm. Revenge of the Nerds. But you also went in and had the nerd be just as bad, if not worse, than the jocks. So lampshading oh. those '80s comedies. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Was, was that sort of was taking the piss out of that good boy, good guy, bad guy, nerd versus jock dynamic? One of the things that you really had sort of envisioned with that series. Yeah, that was definitely that was something that I was um, that I was I was it was always in the plan for sure because I mean like I don't know if you've gone back and watched Revenge of the Nerds, but like they flat out like rape a woman in that movie and play it up for laughs, like the nerds, not the jocks, and um, right. Yeah, and and that was sort of and and in this book too, uh, in Snelson and in Planet of the Nerds, I'm kind of uh, looking back at the the futures that I believed I was going to be living. Right, like when you're a nerd growing up in the '80s and '90s, you were told that you know because you're a nice guy and because you're you know like all these things are going to come to you when you're an adult and so on and so forth. And now, you know, nerds do have cultural capital. We do have, um, you know, we have like basically every movie at the multiplex and we have, uh, you know, the everybody has a computer uh, in their pocket. And, you know, like, it's just this amazing thing, but, um, but we're making a lot of the same mistakes. We nerds are making a lot of the same mistakes as have always been perpetuated in the culture. And so I was trying to do, to, to do a little bit of that and, and, and sort of take the piss out of, out of ourselves because, you know, like I, I think I, you know, uh, thought I was the good guy in a lot of stories and I, I was not, I was the, the, you know, obnoxious white kid who was, who was, you know, being insensitive um, or whatever. I'm sure like at some point in my life, like we were talking about earlier, I'm sure at some point I made fun of somebody's name uh, because it sounded weird or something like that, which is just like fucking horrible. Now I look back on it and it's it's horrifying, right? And 
I think speaking to any other white guy who's around my age in their forties, like you have that pass and you have that understanding and, and, and that's fine, you know, and, and it's, it's something that we're, you know, as long as you're growing past it then that's okay. But I think a lot of people um, specifically, you know, I've, I've, I, I think a lot about comics gate and, and that kind of like right-wing reactionary um, uh, sort of group that is a, you know, trying to close out uh, minorities and women from from comics, and and I think there's there's really uh, a become a level of of um, of uh, uh, evil that's come into the that's come into nerd culture, and and so yeah, I definitely wanted to comment on that in the in the book, and um, and I think in 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 Snelson, I'm sort of I'm commenting on some of the same thing in that that. Um, you know, what one time it was okay to, um, it was okay to be racist. If you watch any, um, you know, comedy from the early 2000s, late, late 1990s, like there was a, re a reliable punchline was this guy is gay, you know, like they just like played up the gay panic and, and stuff like that. And, and at the time it was seen as okay. And now it's not. And that's what culture should be. But there are now people who are saying like, no, I want, I want it to be this way because that was good. And that's, that's like, that's the way it should be. Um, and so in both, in both books, I'm sort of like pushing back on this, this sort of regressive thinking for sure. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm working on a book now that I, I can't talk about, but it is the exact opposite. And it's a fun comic booky comic book adventure. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, but uh, uh I'm also very happy that I, I did these two books that sort of, you know, are a little bit, a little bit antagonistic. Like the, 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 it would have been pretty easy, I think, to do Planet of the Nerds and have it be like a Ready Player One sort of thing where it's like, hey, remember this thing in the 80s? Wasn't that great? Let's bring it on into the future. And like, um, but I, I, I want to be, you know, I, 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 I like to be critical of myself and the way I behaved in the past and in, in an attempt to grow and, and change. And so, um, so that's, that's kind of what I was getting out of my system with these first two books is this idea that, um, you should keep going forward, not, not looking back. And that's what the two books have in common, I think. You know, I, I came home one night from work and my, my, my wife, my son, who's 10 and my daughter, who's, uh, four, they were all huddled together on the couch in the dark. And I found that they were watching Ready Player One. And I sat down with them because, you know, it'd been a long day. I was happy to spend time with them. And I was like, oh, God, this, mo th this movie is trash. Ben Mendelsohn is a fantastic <laughs> actor. And I will watch, you know, I'll watch him read a phone book. This movie is garbage. <laughs> yeah. 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 The book is, the book is also, I mean, the book, the, the main character is a villain, basically. Like, you don't, it's, 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 it seemed very obvious to me when I was reading it. And like, Laura Hudson, who has done a lot of great comics journalism, she's written a couple of great, great uh, pieces on Ready Player One that I think really get at that sort of thing. And it's, it's, it's insidious, right? Like nostalgia is a hell of a drug. It like makes you, you want to think that you're, the good old days were great, but I prefer to think that tomorrow can be better. <laughs> and so, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, yeah, Ready Player One. So what did, what did, uh, what did your kids think about it? If you don't mind my asking. I, well, I mean, my daughter, you know, doesn't pay attention to anything. Is that, that, that's fine. You know, my son sure. being 10, I think he's got some of the context from, you know, having a, a dad who's, you know, basically been a, you know, nerd all his life and grew up in the eighties. So like, he knows what a DeLorean is. 
yeah, yeah. you know, but uh, you know, I, I, I don't like, he's never come back to me and been like, can we watch that again? You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, he, he's, he, he's got a little bit more of a discerning eye, which I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm very curious because when I was growing up, when I was about your son's age, all of my teachers were all old hippies and you know, mm -hmm. like they, like I had several teachers who would not shut up about Woodstock and, and like, by the time I graduated, I hated, <laughs> I hated the, the, like the whole love generation, like, because they, all they could tell me is yesterday was so amazing and now we've destroyed the earth and it's your fault and you have to fix it. And I wonder if we're going to do that to our kids because like everything is about, oh man, I loved Thundercats when I was a kid. Here, have Thundercats. Or like, you know, here's uh, Kevin Smith produced He-Man series. And like, here's, you know, the entire MCU, which is like a tribute to the comics I made. And they're, they're, the movies are amazing and I love them and everything. But um, if I were a kid right now, I'd be kind of pissed that nobody was making things like aimed at me, but it was all aimed at like my dad's childhood. Um, so I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. It'll be, it'll, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, um, that we'll see some, some, some new stuff come up and that some of us will absolutely hate it. And, uh, and that's, that's when you know it's the future, right? <laughs> or like, I think about how like Comicsgate is mad at uh, the, the fact that we're selling more comics now than ever. And they're like, well, yeah, but you know, so much of that is like that YA shit. And I'm like, oh, you mean kids are reading comics and that's bad? Like what, what? Like, Raina Telgemeier is like one of the most read authors in the country and she does comics. That's incredible. That means there are going to be so many more comics coming and they're going to be amazing. And, and uh, so, yeah, I'm excited about that. And I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad that kids today aren't pining for my youth, you know, as much as I loved growing up with the Jim Shooter Marvel and the Mark Greenwald Captain American stuff, I'm excited to see what, you know, a kid who grows up on Raina Telgemeier is going to do with, uh, with, you know, Captain America or an idea of their own 10 years from now. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, what's the, what is the harder part of writing satire for you? Or is either of these, neither of these particularly harder than the other? Uh, is it finding the humor in some of those darker moments or not letting the humor drown out the, the point? Definitely the latter. The, the, you don't want to, um, it's very easy to make a punchline that is punching, you know, punching down as opposed to punching up. Um, and so you have to be careful that you're always aiming the right way with satire. And it's very easy to, to go for something because you think it's going to be funny. And um, uh, yeah, yeah, 100% it's that. It's not... I'm not worried about uh, being funny because comedy is pretty subjective. Like if I think it's funny, then I have to trust that, you know, and like, and if also if Tom reads the script and thinks it's funny and, and Fred draws the script, like that's at least three people who think it's funny. So I'm okay. Right? Like <laughs> it might not make you laugh and, and you have a different sense of humor than mine. I can't like objectively prove that something is funny or not, but I think you can prove when a joke misses the mark and you are you are being cruel or something like that and it's very easy to be cruel uh in comedy i think um which is which is where a lot of this pushback comes from because people um 
you know, like I, 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 I can't remember the comedian's name, but um, uh, there was a comedian in Austin who was introduced by um, uh, uh, another comedian of, uh, he was an Asian American. Uh, and he just came out and did like three minutes of the most racist shit that was just like bad China jokes. And it's like, it wasn't even funny. People in the audience were laughing, but it was lazy and it was comfortable. And so people laughed and he, he thought he was being funny making the jokes because uh, he grew up thinking that racist stuff was funny. So like, yeah, you've, you've just got to be on guard and make sure that you're not doing the, 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 the cheapest shit possible. <laughs> as, as easy as it is. Um, it's, it's just, it's a trap. And that's what gets a lot of comedians, I think, in the, in the long run. Ah, so uh, now, now we're, we're coming into the, the, uh, the cool down here. Uh, you mentioned them briefly before during the walking segment. Uh, Paul, uh, tell us about your dogs. My dogs are uh, two rescue greyhounds. Uh, one is named Oberon and the other one is named Wallace, Obi and Wally. Uh, and we got Obi, uh, let me see, my wife and I got Obi uh, three years ago. Uh, and he ran on the track in Florida and we got him through an organization out here called Greyhound Pets Incorporated. And then this January, we were looking for a second dog um, and uh, we found a Greyhound through another Greyhound placement organization out here called Greyhound Pets Incorporated. And he was losing his sight and uh, they wanted to place him in a home with a mature uh, dog, preferably a Greyhound, um, while he still had some of his sight, he was losing it because of a, a genetic uh, disorder that affects male dogs, uh, retinal uh, degeneration. And so, uh, so we introduced the dogs and they got along great. And we brought the, uh, we brought Wally home. He's been here six months now and they really get along. Wally likes to follow Obi around the house and uh, he's, uh, he's great. And greyhounds are amazing. I don't know if you know anything about them, but uh uh, you know, they run 45 miles an hour for like two minutes and then they're done and then they sleep for like nine hours. And so, uh, so they're, they're asleep most of the day while I'm doing my writing. And then I, I take them for a walk in the morning and a walk at night and they're good and they're super sweet dogs. And, uh, and yeah, so, uh, if you, you know, if you're looking for a dog, I recommend the Greyhound, especially if you live in an apartment or something like that. They're really friendly. They're really, um, they're a little weird. They're more cat-like than a lot of dogs, um, but uh, they are—they're um, amazing, and they're you know on the track and they're raced. Um, they're pretty well regulated, so it's not like they're abused dogs. They don't know things like when we brought Wally home, he didn't know what a window was, and he didn't know what stairs were, and like we turned on the TV, and I, he thought like the world was going to end. <laughs> Um, but, uh, they, they adapt really quickly and they're just, they're just super sweet. They are, they're the best. They are the best. So, yeah. uh, how, how's walking grays? Cause they're, they're big suckers. And I guess like, are they, are they trying to go fast when you're taking them for a walk or? No, well, Wally uh, being blind, he kind of doesn't max out his speed. He stays pretty, no. he stays pretty cool. He'll, if, if Obi is running and Wally is running, um, then Wally will stay like behind and to the right of him and just sort of track him. Mm -hmm. uh, so he'll only go as fast as Obi will go. No, they're, 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 they're both very gentle on walks. Um, they're not really that interested in running 
um, all the time. They're more interested in uh, getting home and eating than anything <laughs> else. And so, um, yeah, no, they're, they're not a lot to handle. We do keep them leashed anytime they're outside because mm-hmm. they're not great. I mean, they're not the smartest dogs in the world. So they, like, they're not great with directions and things like that. So if I were to let them out of the house and one of them were to see a squirrel and just start running, they might like, you know, be further than they know uh, before they know it and not know mm-hmm. how to get home. So they have to be leashed all the time and then um, and let out in fenced areas. But no, they're, they're, they're very, uh, they're pretty good. I mean, walking the both of them, I had to learn how to handle them. But uh, eventually, eventually, I, uh, I, I figured it out. And they don't pull too hard or anything like that. They're, they're really gentle, like retired gentlemen, I think. So. <laughs> Gail Simone also has greyhounds, yes. and she, yeah, yeah, and I, uh, I, I, I love her greyhound posts. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the breed as well. So you should start a greyhound comic society. <laughs> uh, wh- uh, what are you reading right now? Right now, uh, let me see. For comics, uh, what am I reading right now? I, I just read, there's a uh, nonfiction comic called Dirty Biology that I just read that is about um, sexuality, like across uh, the spectrum of species from one-celled organisms to humans. Um, that is a really amazing comic. I found it at my, my regular comic store, which is Phoenix Comics in Seattle. Um, they had a copy of it. And I, I really dug it. It's a really great um, science explanatory comic uh all in one book and uh it's really well done and the main character is like this sort of stick figure man with a blockhead who's just a little bit pervy like (laughs) he'll be like looking on on the scenes of unicellular organisms splitting and you can tell he's enjoying it a little too much um and i really i really like the sense of humor they brought to it and it was really explanatory and then in terms of uh, like regular monthly comics. I read anything like Al Ewing writes. Obviously, I mentioned Mark, Mark Russell is probably my favorite comic writer going right now. Um, I read, oh God, Radiant Black. I read a lot. Um, uh, let me see. I've gotten back into Savage Dragon again, which I've enjoyed a lot. Hmm. Um, I started, I read, I read it a few years ago. I think I might be able to see it on my shelf behind me here, but I, I, I read it a few years ago and then I stopped and then I got on board when he was doing the um, Savage Dragon Salutes the Funnies issue where he did uh, <laughs> a book in different styles. And I just really admire what he's doing in that book. He just wants to tell this one story and stick with it. And, um, and now there's like porn in it and it's really weird. And like, it doesn't make any sense to anyone who hasn't read the book for, and I, I just love it. It's like comics for pure, it's as close as we're going to get, I think to that weird uh, Jack Kirby, Captain America run we were talking about where it's like, this is all super strange stuff. And somehow it's, it's uh, somehow it works. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I read anything that Ahoy Comics puts out and I know that they pay me and I probably am not a credible source, but I think that <laughs> I would read anything that Ahoy wrote, that Ahoy put out, even if I didn't get involved with them, because Tom Pyre is, you know, I've been reading his books since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, the books he edited, like, you know, uh, Vertigo, Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, I really like the work that they're doing and, oh, and Nightwing, um, I really like it when a writer and an artist 
click and they're really clicking. And uh, so, yeah, I like superhero stuff. I like all kinds of uh, all kinds of stuff. So that's that's kind of what I'm reading right now. And then I today I just finished uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, which uh, is good. I, I like it. Uh, I wish he didn't go after Bruce Lee quite so hard. I don't know why he's doing that. Uh, but uh, uh, beside that, it's I enjoy I as a kid, I really liked reading novelizations. And so uh, this is a, a sort of a fun throwback to that. So yeah, I read a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Paul, uh, thank you. This has been awesome. It's been, it's, it's been an hour plus. Uh, final question, how can people follow you online and keep up with Snelson and everything else that you have going on? Well, I am on Twitter at, at Paul Constant, uh, and I have a website, paulconstant.com, and then I have a newsletter, uh, which you can get to. It's on my Twitter profile um, that I publish once a month. It's a free newsletter. I'm not trying to get subscription out of anybody uh where i just put together everything that i've written uh in the past month and uh and sometimes there are dog pictures so you know there's always that too all right paul thank you so much for coming on the show thank you so much for having me thank you for the amazing questions i really i really appreciate that you you guys did your homework and i i i really loved it so thanks that's it for this week's show as a reminder wmqna is part of comics xf meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Chris's on Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at comicsxf.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at comicsxf.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash WMQcomics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. A $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. A $3 donation gets you a slot in the Comics XF staff picks. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the loyalist content consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, that one time Pete Wisdom stopped a vampire invasion from the moon. WMQA.